What's up, y'all? Thank you for tuning in to this first episode of the Pop Politics Podcast with me, Monique Alicia Gamble. I'm a political science professor, a screenwriter, and a photographer, and this show is a fusion of two things I love to talk about, politics and pop culture. So let's get to it. I can't talk U.S. politics without highlighting the events of January 5th, 2021. That was the day before rioters stormed the U.S. Capitol and put a stranglehold on the world's attention for weeks. I'm talking about the gargantuan effort it took for Georgia to deliver two Democrats, a black man and the state's first Jewish man, to the United States Senate. With Senators Raphael Warnock, John Ossoff, and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, who'd be sworn in as VP on January 20th, Georgia would give Democrats the slimmest possible majority in the Senate. As a result, Democrats would control the presidency and both chambers of Congress. If you're a Democrat, oh, happy day, right? But how did that even happen? Few people believed it was possible, but the ones who did went to work to make it so. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to one of those visionary leaders. Rhea Thompson Washington is an extraordinary political activist, advocate, and all-around good troublemaker. Her pronouns are she, her, and Aya. She joins me to discuss organizing and the time she spent this fall with the New Georgia Project. Rhea is currently the National Democracy Manager with the Center for Popular Democracy, CPD Action Network, Black-led Affiliates, Voting Rights, and Democracy Program. She works with affiliates to create their voting and election strategies to protect the vote at the polls. In the 2020 election cycle, Rhea created, implemented, and managed CPDA's 2020 Voting and Electoral Strategy, the Voter Guardian and Engagement Program. She came to CPD from the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, where she spent two years as a senior national coordinator in the Voting Rights Project, managing and overseeing election protection programs in six key states, including Mississippi, Louisiana, Kansas, Virginia, Tennessee, and North Carolina. Rhea lives in the Washington, D.C. metro area and is an active member of the National Lawyers Guild, D.C. Mass Defense Chapter. She regularly trains legal observers to monitor the actions of police at protests and provides coaching for First Amendment demonstrators and protesters to, quote, know their rights in the streets. When she's not training folks to resist state oppression, Rhea is an enthusiastic advocate for the abolition of police, prisons, and the carceral state. So listen, Rhea be out here, as she would say. So I'm super grateful she had some time to sit down and chat with me. I hope y'all enjoy. Welcome, Rhea. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are you, love? Oh, you know, PTT, living the dream, trying to save the democracy one little win at a time. One little win at a time. We appreciate it. That's appreciate it. your work. Um, you know I have you here um, because you're the dopest person I know who does the work that you do. Um, and I'm incredibly proud of you. I, I think I'm going to make the full disclosure that you are a friend and a former student. So there's mm-hmm. also like a feather in my cap there. So there's, you know, a couple reasons why I have you. <laughs> but first and foremost, because you're dope at what you do, though. Um, but tell me in your own words, how do you describe your organizing, your activist work, your advocacy work? 
So, um, I describe it in a couple of ways. I get paid to be the voting rights and democracy manager um, that helps like drive the organization's federal democracy work, helps um, craft and um, lobby for key le- like legislation um, like HR1, SR1, which are, you know, bills in Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like also COVID relief bills and um, reconciliation process of through the budget. Like those are all things that I do during the day. Um, okay. I also mm-hmm. help state um, state organi- like organizations inside of states that do civic engagement, create uh, election protection plans or voting plans that ensure that every person who's trying to vote um, who can cast a ballot is eligible to cast a free, fair, safe ballot. Um, and so I teach people how to do that. For fun, I yes. teach people like how to protest. So that mm-hmm. is like I teach protesters to um, to resist state oppression, and I teach lawyers how to defend dissent when um, protesters are, you know, arrested in the course of constitutionally protected activity. Um, so I teach folks how to, um, like, you know, push back on uh, their government, <laughs> redress it, if you will, Absolutely. for for their grievances. <laughs> that right. pushback is what you're calling uh, redress. <laughs> yeah. I I like to call it that. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. How did you get involved in organizing? I have been an organizer for a very long time before Mm -hmm. I knew it was something that you could get paid for. Um, Mm -hmm. I've always been maybe what folks might call a rabble rouser or a troublemaker. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know. Um, So it started there, right? And then... (laughs) Right. (laughs) people the people um but then um so i started out as an organizer um just like with some friends in texas and san antonio doing random you know like we thought we were like super progressive so like during christmas time at the mall or during the holiday season we would walk around and hand out like what would jesus buy like stickers right to people to encourage them not to engage in mass consumerism or um you know like sing anti-corporate Christmas carols in the mall, right? Um, Like that type of thing. Banner drops, you know, like run-of-the-mill activism, um, food not bombs type stuff. Um, And so I'm going to put put the whole folks would call me a rabble rat, like that whole line I'm going to put in air quotes because clearly, friend, <laughs> you be rather. <laughs> I mean, I rouse a little, you know. Yeah, I like to rouse yeah. from here and there every now and then. So, um, I was I was performing. Um, I also did like performance art um, and political performance art. And uh, this organizer um, heard me, and she came. She saw me at a couple of, like protest rallies, and and she tried to talk to me about organizing. And I was just like, girl, I am drinking at a bar. I'm not trying to like talk to you about like work right now 
Um, but I finally listened to her because um, she kept calling me. And so um, I went to work with her one day and I watched her inoculate uh, like county and city workers in Texas about how to like agitate them about how to organize against their boss for better working conditions. And I was like, oh, you can get paid for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, I started working at SEIU from then and um, have worked on a number of campaigns across the country. And um, the good, great thing about organizing is you don't actually like need a degree to be an organizer. You can just be good right. at organizing. Um, but like any of the other predatory inclusive systems that we like live in, right? Um, you need a degree um, to be able to, to go uh, farther. Um, and so I got tired of like running, ca- like um, being on campaigns run by like young white men who mm-hmm. didn't have my experience. And so I went back to school and um, that's when I met you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> went back to school to finish my bachelor's degree and I met you and um, like kind of rounded out my um, how do you Americans say uh, <laughs> my desire to be engaged and okay. um, from there I haven't looked back it's just been um, really a series of being in the right place at the right mm-hmm. time and being not afraid to speak up even when it's uncomfortable and trusting my mentors who like have encouraged me so that's what's yeah. up I, you know, I think when you really came on my radar as an organizer, I feel like I bring this up at least once or twice a year, but it's um, when you were doing the legal observer training with the, the popsicle and the little green hat. Um, <laughs> I think this, this was on Facebook or something, and I just remember being like, yeah, yeah like I'm, yeah, I feel protected um, as long as she's out there. <laughs> um, what was that like? like? Like, tell me that, take me back to that, tell me that story, and what was... What did you learn from that experience? Obviously, it wasn't your your first one. You've been in the game for a while. Mm-hmm. But for some mm-hmm. reason, that one just stands out to me. Um, it feels like it was a very public one, maybe in the, yeah. the social media space at that point. Was that, does that seem like a, a, a big moment for you? Was there something that came out of that that was special, that one in particular? Well, it's um, popsicle is what I call that incident, okay. and um, everyone, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, that popsicle day. So that was um, there was a protest. I was supporting um, BYP 100, Black Youth Project 100 of DC, and Black Lives Matter of DC um, was they were doing an uh, um, an activation at the board of police and um, so that excuse me the fraternity of police so the fraternal order of the police is where all of the like policies that govern um, police around the country um, they come from that space they're promulgated there and so um, we decided or those organizations decided there was not going to be any um, work on that day it was you know um, in the summer of 2016 so it's a really um, charged time like historically people were you know, it wasn't quite as um, lit as the uprisings of 2020, 
um, sure. but it was getting there. And so, mm-hmm. um, and so people were taken to the streets. And on this particular day, um, they decided that there, there was not going to be any business happening at the FLP on the July 20th. And um, there, what turned it, it was initially um, supposed to be a bunch of people getting arrested. Um, but due to some other things that had happened earlier in the summer, um, Mayor Bowser and the police chief were determined not to arrest anybody. So it just turned into a standoff in the middle of the street. And um, the particular incident you're talking about, the police, um, the police officer in charge at that time was trying to tell me, um, the person who was like, um, legally observing and making sure that folks were safe, um, tried to tell me that like people were trespassing um, and they, you know, would be, could be thrown in jail. And so we had a slight debate of words because he thought it was trespassing. I was like, can you prove it? He couldn't prove it. So um, it was just, you know, again, another time where I may have been described as rabble rousing or, uh, you know, uh, ratcheting things up. And so instead I was just surrounded by black people who let me know that they had my back, um, as they said as much. And um, he just walked off frustrated. And so what's, um, just before I started talking to the police officer, I had them passing out pops to um, the white people and non-black people of color who had put their bodies on the line in the street. Um, there were black people who chained them, their bodies to the doorways and to um, all of the entryways so no one could actually enter the building or enter the property. And so um, white people put their bodies out first. So I was passing out popping popsicles to all of the people in the streets in this D.C. summer. And... Um, for some reason, people thought I was supposed to put the popsicle down to talk to the police officer like I myself wasn't hot. And that is the most perplexing thing. It's, it's the, like, somehow it was disrespectful of me to continue eating my popsicle when I was talking to him. Like, yes, I recognize it was, you know, disrespectful because I, I wanted him to be disrespected, right? But at the same time, why is it something that we even attribute that to? Like, yeah. why do we give deference to police in that way when, you know, we, it was nothing but trying to take care of myself and make sure I didn't overheat um, <laughs> at that moment, right? And make sure my comrades, we were good. So, yeah, I ate the popsicle. It's good so, time. It's at least 60% of the best part of that story. I mean, you know, the, the, the activism notwithstanding and <laughs> the showing up and standing up and, and refusing to be disrespected, notwithstanding, the popsicle is is partly what makes that story, why it's one of my favorites. It's also such a great like part of, of kind of who you are. Um, and part of the reason that, like, uh, you know, I, I think I gravitated towards you in the first place in class um, and why ultimately we end up here. It's, it's your absolute unapologetic nature of standing up for what you believe is right. Like, I rock with that, you know, and if there's a, a popsicle involved, it's not disrespectful to continue consuming the popsicle if, if you're righteous in the moment. <laughs> it's hot. It was hot. Okay, I gotta be sweaty and stand up for myself. I don't think so. I think there's a way I can do, you know, I can do both, and I'm gonna. Indeed. So yeah, that was it. <laughs> Indeed, I love it. It's one of my favorite moments. Thank you for for uh, reliving that with me. Um, oh, speaking of reliving things too, okay, take me to Georgia. You decided 
in November, I think. After the election, you packed up wifey, you packed up the dogs, and y'all went down to Atlanta. Um, tell me the first. devil went down to Georgia. Hey, <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, so I, for, for my job, I support the New Georgia Project in uh, Democracy Endeavors, and that's my like organization that I work with for work. And so mm-hmm. I was already going down to um, Georgia for the election um, to to work for the election, um, for the general election. And so I spent three weeks down there and Ense and I became really close during that time. Um, And because of my extensive history of doing that kind of work, um, Mm -hmm. she asked me if I would serve as chief of staff for her Senate runoff. And so I told her I would would be the Senate runoff uh, chief of staff, but only if I could bring my wife and my dog's back. And so she was like, bet, we'll find you housing. <laughs> Don't worry about it. And so I left um, that Tuesday and I was back that Sunday um, with the house and my dogs and my wife. Um, and we proceeded to, um, you know, do the Atlanta thing. And so I, um, down in Atlanta, I, I hired um, organizers. I managed the staff that was there. I brought in staff from around the country. Um, I managed the relationships with all of the organizations and individuals who were coming from around the country to do um, uh, GOTV, but also um, early voting and so and voter registration when that was still happening. So um, essentially every single person who came to Georgia or worked on the ground, I hope um, them get there, staff them, place them, do whatever it was and make sure that they were good. Um, and then I also worked with the organizations like Move On, like um, Fair Fight, like um, Planned Parenthood, um, all of the unions to help staff the voter registration drive, help staff the GOTV um, daily um canvases and, you know, just put bodies out on the ground, got Mm -hmm. as many people as possible from around the country. Um, And then I also facilitated Glow Vote, which is the grassroots leaders organizing for um, winning. Um, And that is a group of Black women from around the country who we all work at different organizations and we just get together and fundraise for whatever campaign is happening. So right now they're working for Tashara um, and St. Louis to get her elected okay. mayor. Yeah. Um, like so, yeah, so, so, yeah. Yep. And so um, we just, I, yeah, so I, that's, that's what I did. And, and my wife, I got her to be a volunteer on the election protection hotline. So mm-hmm. she was taking phone calls from people who were trying to vote and maybe having problems and directing them, you know, where they needed to go. And yeah, it was just a, like the whole family got involved. I was about to say, yeah, it was a whole family affair. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, let me ask yeah. you this though, because <laughs> I know you are not a, um, you weren't a, a Biden or a Harris supporter at all uh why did you still find it important to go down and do as much as much work as you did also do you have do y'all have any idea of, of how many people came down to support efforts in georgia oh my god um i probably i do have that on the list somewhere um it was thousands of people mm-hmm. <laughs> like i really wish i had gotten a google number 
um, so that so many people didn't have my phone number. Uh, it, was, it was it was it was obnoxious. Um, the a number of people that came through. I don't remember the other part of the question oh, that you asked. I'm notorious for asking double questions. My bad. No worries. I was asking about because you weren't a Biden or Harris supporter at all. Oh, I was wondering what that's why um, I blocked why it out. The, <laughs> you said that's why what? Uh, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Oh, that's right. I blocked it out because of the Biden Harris thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I wasn't, it's not about the candidates that I wanted to win. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, mm -hmm. I needed to do whatever I could to get um, the previous occupant out of the White House um, and to try to make sure that as many people um, participated in the process. Um, I believe that we could win Georgia when many people thought we could only win one seat. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that the, the infrastructure, what was on the ground, was um, built out and designed and being activated in a way that was going to be successful because I I saw it, I, like, firsthand. And so um, it didn't matter to me that, um, you know, Kamala wasn't um, quite my um, cup of tea. Mm -hmm. um, because at the end of the day, um, she's still the first Black and Indian, like, vice president. She's likely going to be the first Black woman president um, of the United States. And so... I'm going to do whatever I can to make that happen so that I can get them elected and then push them as far left as possible. It's never been, it's yeah. never been about like the candidates that, that I wanted, although, you know, I would have loved to be under, a, you know, Elizabeth Warren presidency. Um, but in, in, the, in the end, all of the policies that she pushed, her plans and everything are showing up in a multitude of ways. And I still get to work for those policies and still get to suggest them and still get to say, hey, um, here's an idea. Like, why don't we do this? You know, um, and so that that, that hasn't stopped. Um, but it's, it's not about the candidate. It's not about the president. It's about what we can do to move our agenda. Absolutely. I remember um, seeing Angela Davis kind of make this point before uh, before the election happened. She was talking about mm -hmm. the election being a, a strategic tool, you know, um, even if yep. our our candidates, although full disclosure, Kamala was my, my candidate. You know that. Um, I know. I know. So like, I, I feel like I can see your face now. It's OK. We'll deal with that some other time. But nonetheless, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that kind of foresight and thinking about there's a much bigger picture here. And if this is one of the ways that we can get closer and you know, to your point about being engaged and staying engaged and pushing these folks where you want them to go. One thing we know for sure mm -hmm. is that you're not gonna push Donald Trump further left. You got a chance with these guys. So that's at least part of the reason to stay in the game at least. Talk to me too about unregistered voters. You know, every time election season comes up and in the post-election analysis, there's always this conversation about who was registered, who wasn't, why they were, why they weren't, who showed up and who didn't. Um, tell me some of the reasons that you saw that people may not have been registered voters. And if you can, dispel any myths that you've heard and that are debunked by your time uh, doing the work you did in Georgia. Yeah, um, that black people don't vote, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And so what I saw is saturating the market. Like there was nowhere you could look or turn or see anything. Like someone dumped so much money into Georgia to ensure that every single person 
was aware and not just like peripherally aware but like like obviously blatantly fully aware that there was an election what the dates were you know when it was happening um and so there were campaign posters i mean everywhere on every single street uh, uh, lines like it was it was like wild because i've actually never seen this kind of um like really concerted effort like even across the state um and so um everyone like there were there was a lot of a lot of money put put into georgia um and uh there was a lot of talk about it now there was also quite a few last minute um, moves by Georgia like Board of Elections to try to to make things a little like wonky and, and, and put some misinformation out there. But I think mm-hmm. ultimately the groups who were doing the work like Mi Gente, Mi Gente reaching out to every single Latinx voter in Georgia by phone means that they they didn't just like get they didn't make one pass at it at the universe they didn't make two passes at the universe they made a pass at the universe every single damn day Mm -hmm. and so they got every single person like we that's the kind of turnout work we need to do um on election day the lines there were no lines and it was because on early voting first three days of early voting people were lined up because they were so um, jazz juice and like you're not gonna take my vote away, so I'm gonna vote. It's making it, uh, making it exciting, making people realize like that the process really works. It's great when there's a win in the way that it was, but even when there's not a win, just reminding people that participating in the process is the point, right? right. And, like eventually we will get the things that we want from it because that's how you, that's how it works. Um, we have to participate in it so that we can change gerrymandering so that we can ensure that we can actually elect representative democracy, right? We have to be able to, like, get rid of the filibuster so that we can have a conversation about political gerrymandering so that we can make sure that we can elect representative democracy, right? And so, like, it all all trickles down... it also goes down to the same thing. And mm-hmm. so and that is and that is education of the public. And so the more information the public has, I mean, like I was in an Airbnb and we and there was mail mailers coming every day. There was people door knocking every day. There was on the radio, every TV every TV commercial break was nothing but political ads. Nothing on the radio was political ads. Billboards on the side of the freeway, billboards on the street, like you couldn't, you couldn't escape it. Right. So, right. Um, it's, 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 it's saturating the market. It's and not talking and about anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember and it worked. <laughs> and it worked. I, like two points that you you mentioned that that I'm, I'm thinking about here. Um, and, and thinking about you know the if you don't win, you put all this effort into it and you don't win. That's, it's not game over. That's, you know, maybe right. it's a pause, maybe it's a redirect, and, and there's no better uh, example of that. Actually, I'm thinking about the, the work that you're doing now with Tashara. Uh, but Stacey Abrams losing the governorship in the first place was a, a massive letdown, it was a huge disappointment. But the fact that that didn't stop, then she goes and creates Fair Fight and becomes mm-hmm. a major engine of what happens in 2021, January 2021. But then I was also thinking about after the election was over, after the uh, runoff elections were over, I remember seeing so many people who were in Georgia were like, ah, thank God, like now it's over. We've been, you know, just like you said, every other day there are new ads, 
there's mailers every day, there are billboards. And I just remember thinking, maybe there's a pause now, but this is the work that has to be ongoing. That's the work of Mm -hmm. democracy. It is exhausting, but you see it has to be because you can lose it just like that. One one guy, you know, and, and watching the impeachment from this week, you can see how democracy can literally die over the course of one presidency. And so the work of, of maintaining an hour. Yeah. <laughs> an hour. Like we literally were celebrating the the Senate voting on, you know, they're allowing witnesses. Mm-hmm. That was like, yeah, wait, yes. And Lindsay went to take a nap. <laughs> and when she woke up, from, I came to my office to read, and she woke up from her nap like, why aren't they doing witnesses anymore? I'm like, girl, what are you talking about? And <laughs> just that quick, it was over. And, yeah. and that's, that is the part that's frustrating to me. That's the part that is it feels demoralizing because it's just like, God, you know, we keep doing this over and over and over and mm-hmm. over again. And we just keep getting to a point where the people who are representing us are, um, are not actually um, are not doing what we need them to do. They're not like mm-hmm. showing up. They're not having the backbone in the way that we need them to. And and that's the part. It's, it's, it's you know, reading an article in Politico this week about cinema um, and how she doesn't believe in the fight for 15 when that's like one of the main tenets of like um, some of the like democracy reforms, right? Like mm-hmm. how she doesn't, she's not interested in that or how um, she believes that the filibuster needs to be strengthened. And it's like, we did all this work to in Georgia to support black people, to, to get black people down voting, to do all that stuff, to win two senators and two seats in places that folks never thought it would happen, to have Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema yeah. yeah. be the people mm-hmm. that derail the work that we did. That's infuriating to me. That yeah. takes me out every time. But it, then it reminds me, it's like, okay, good. So what I need to do is go ahead and organize in Arizona again. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, so good. We need to get we need to organize some groups in Arizona. Like who do I know in Arizona that can go down to her office and like put their foot on her neck because she forgets <laughs> who she works for. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's that's what we're gonna do. That's what we gotta do. There you go. Um, when you were at lawyers committee. You were supporting uh, voter engagement, voter registration efforts, and I think working against voter suppression efforts in like six other states. How do you see that kind of work spreading? You know, I was thinking about what we saw in Georgia is certainly possible, I think, in places like Mississippi, um, South Carolina, Mm -hmm. North Carolina. How do you move Louisiana? How do you spread this kind of energy that's happening in Georgia to to make something like Georgia happen across the South? What happens is, is there's a there's a cohort of Black women who are leading those organizations mm-hmm. on the ground. So. so like mm-hmm. there's 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 a Black woman um, in Louisiana um, named Ashley Shelton who is um, leading the Power and Equity Coalition in Louisiana, and they are doing the same. They're in the same like building stages that NGP was like a few years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they're that organization. Um, there's also Step Up Louisiana in Mississippi. There's several organizations that hold that space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, run by uh, and Tommy um, Lambright, another Black woman um, who is holding it down in Mississippi, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Alabama, like, like name the state. There is a black right. woman right. who is holding that space and um, who's looking at NSA's plan and what she did. Like, okay, I see you. I think I could do that, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think that, and no, I don't think, I know because I've already been reached out to by a black woman in Florida who's like, hey, I'm trying to get, you know, some, I'm trying to do what NSA did for the, for Florida, for the state for 2022, who are trying to, who are trying to get ready for the next set of elections, right? And so mm-hmm. essentially, um, it's trusting black women. Like that's that's what it's gonna take. It's listening to black women. It's um, giving them the resources and the funds to be able to um, build collaboratively across the South yeah. and make these changes because it's not it's like it's Georgia just showed that you can win in the deep South. Right, where it's right. been told mm-hmm. to us so much that you can't. That was a lie. That was a lie. We know it was a lie, and we know mm-hmm. why it was a lie. <laughs> and so now that it's been proven that it was a lie, now we can we can start putting money into these other places. Now we can start putting money into these other organizations that can have the same results as was had in Georgia. We just have to do it. Like sure, we sure. just have to make them do it. So that's that's what I'm doing. That's my that's my job is to to talk enough shit to democracy organizations that are led by white people who have resources and get them to open their wallet. Um, it's mm-hmm. actually the call that I'm, I'm about to um, jump and run for now is um, I'm working with a democracy organization and talking to them about the difference between being anti-racist and being non-racist, right? Mm-hmm. And talking about how we need you to like not just be not racist, to be be explicitly anti-racist because it affects the policy that you put out and it affects the way that we have conversations with senators and with members of the house and um, committees and all of these different things like all of this matters all of it plays to how we um like how we prioritize what we prioritize and (laughs) so um like i'm literally about to get on the phone with a white woman and tell her it's okay to tell other white people if you don't want to be anti-racist i can't rock with you because they need somebody to tell them that a black woman the two pieces to take away from this conversation is trust black women and give them your money right that fair yeah that's always trust black women that's give them always your money. the answer mm-hmm. okay because you have to run um give me two more questions and i'll let you out of here you got time for two more sure okay what do campaigns academics um, any of those folks in those institutions of power who have often overlooked um, organizing, what do they need to know? What are they missing? What do they need to know about the power of uh, the people power of organizing? What yeah, I just, so I just watched Judas, Judas and the Black Messiah. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not okay. going to spoil it. But what I will okay. tell you is that while it was triggering for a number of reasons, one of the things that it reminded me is that like we literally are as strong as the people we organize and we are as strong as the people we empower. And so um, we are as strong as the people who liberate themselves. And so if we believe, like if we believe that we can win, we, we can win. We can have these conversations. We can um, be successful um, in turning, you know, these Southern red states blue. If we want them to be blue, maybe we want them to be purple because blue may not be all it's cracked up to be, right? So mm-hmm. we actually, like we ha- we can do whatever we want, but it's about knowing. It's about the, the empowering and seeing and, and believing because again, I know 
um, from the circles that I work in that people did not think Georgia was going to be in play. Mm -hmm. And um, just from that, you know, um, as they say, the South got something to say. It, mm. it has been had something to say, right? And Georgia isn't the only Southern state that has something to say. So right, as long right. as we keep pouring in, as long as we keep, um, as long as we keep pouring in and believing and empowering, there's nothing that we can't do. But it's going to take the power of people believing and being invested and being told. Yeah, fabulous. Thank you so much. Last question, how do we keep up with you? Where can we follow you? Can keep up with your work <laughs> and whatever it is that whoever you're following. Tell me. Um, the way to keep up with me is to not try because I move very fast. Um, but <laughs> What's your Twitter, man? On Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter. <laughs> there you um, go. <laughs> at Mrs. W N D C. So that's at M R S D U B Y A I N D C. Um, and um, like that's pretty much it. You find me on Twitter. You can follow me anywhere from there. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the work that you're doing. Uh, wherever I can fit in, you know to loop me in. Okay? No yeah. worries. Always. Always and forever. Thank you. All right. Thanks Have for having me, Mo. Anytime. Anytime. Love you. All the time. So say, like, you're going to stay on my list. Don't don't lose this number. Okay? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, babe. Have a good one. Holla. See? I promised dope discussions with my guests, and on this premiere episode, Rhea definitely delivered. When it comes to organizing and empowering our people in these streets to be politically active and engaged, Rhea and the many Black and Brown and Indigenous women organizers who stand with her in their own respective states are doing tremendous work. And those of us who know and care are very grateful. So please keep up the good work. If you want to get involved, you can find Rhea on Twitter at Mrs. WNDC, and I'll post more resources in the show notes. Thank y'all again for tuning in. Catch new episodes of the Pop Politics Pod on the first of every month. I'll also throw out some bonus content between episodes to keep your appetites wet. So stay tuned. I'll see y'all next time.